Welcome everybody to the Seattle Sports Union Podcast. My name is Abraham DeWeese. With me is Rob, the Soul Cal Seahawk English, Matthew, the damn dirty Oregon Duck friend of mine, and our host tonight, the man of the hour, the man with the power. He's too sweet to be sour. That would be Brian, the Soul Man Solak. What's happening? Uh, now that was a good intro that was a good intro i think that's the nicest thing i ever said about matt in my life it's uh, up there yeah it is up there yep <laughs> definitely what how are you abraham nobody asked you that oh i'm doing i'm doing quite well uh our friend uh sanju sharma who's a fan of the show uh it's his birthday so happy birthday dude got to buy you a beer a little bit earlier today and uh, that's all you're getting out of me in COVID era. Is he is he under is he under forty or is he old like you and I? <laughs> uh, he is younger than I don't know how old he is, but he's he's definitely younger than Abraham because uh, Sanju and I like to raise a toast every year to being younger than Abraham. So Sanju is is younger than I am, but he was born an old man. If you've ever met him, he oh, is yeah. crotchety. Yeah. He is angry. And, uh, yeah, he, he, he passed puberty and went straight to that rocking chair on the back porch. Now we're one, we're one listener down now. Thanks buddy. <laughs> and, if, and if you ever want to make him upset to ask him what he thinks of Felix Hernandez. All right. <laughs> do I have, do I, do I have a quick second for a quick story? Yep. About Sanju, Sanju Sharma, because he will be listening, even if he hasn't uh, hung up yet. Uh, I we, we reminisced about a time that both he and I went to Vancouver, and he brought up an incident where I was driving, right? I was, I was doing my due diligence as the designated driver, because I am a responsible and caring person. And I, that wasn't a joke. Um, uh, that makes it even funnier that you think it wasn't a joke. So anyway, um, we were at an intersection. Any of you who have driven to Vancouver understand that the freeway just ends right before downtown. So you just go straight into traffic. Do not pass go. Do not collect 200 euros or whatever the weird money they use up there. Um, and, some dude was walking across the street while I had a green light. So I rolled the window down in my Dodge charger. Cause I rented a Dodge charger and I screamed at the guy not to walk across the street against a red. He gave me the bird. And then I screamed F you, I'm an American. And then I, then I peeled off. So that, that was a, a highlight of 2008 for Abraham and Sanju Sharma that weekend in Vancouver. That's funny. That might have something to do with why other countries hate us. <laughs> <laughs> they can't stand us because we come to their country. <laughs> Screw you, I'm an American. Hey, if they would just have their freeway go all the way downtown, we don't have to have problems, right? <laughs> Good point. Good point. <laughs> let's, let's, let's get let's talk some Seahawks. That's what we're here for. Are you ready? Are you ready to talk some Hawks? I'm ready, Abraham. Right on. Uh, let's start out with 
Monday night's game against Philadelphia. We beat Philadelphia this past Monday to go eight and three, and we're now we're back in first place. What are your first thoughts about the game? Let's start with Rob. Um, you know, I um, I have mixed. I, I'm trying to be objective here. I, I have mixed emotions. Um, it was great to see the defense appear to perform. Certainly, you know, look better than they have you know, very recently. Um, so, you know, there, there, there's, there's reason to be, I suppose, hopeful there. Um, but, uh, you know, that first quarter was a blunder. Um, you know, it just seems that every single time we have an opportunity to go out and really show that we have, have our you-know-what together, something else that hasn't been a problem or has been less of a problem rears its head as a problem and we just still continue to spin our wheels a bit um and in that i would talk about the offense it just it took us a whole quarter to really start playing football on monday night and and that was bothersome um i would have really enjoyed seeing us go in there and put some sort of a whooping on the eagles considering that i mean they they, they have to be a far worse team um than than the seahawks um and you just didn't see that and it was that 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 whole thing was was bothersome to me. I would have much rather seen us going and win this game by by you know by twelve twelve points at least or something like that, two scores. Um, so that that was bothersome. But you know, win is a win. We'll take it back in first place. Um, the schedule is is is, is you know promising. Um, and you know, keep on going from here. Right on. How about you? How about you, Matt? Uh, you know, I mean, I, I think. I think I walked away from it just, you know, a lot more satisfied than everyone else. Uh, the the reality is, is it's a symptom of the Pete Carroll era with the Seahawks is we always play to the level of our opponent. Every game that shouldn't be close is close. Every game that, we, you know, no matter what, every game it seems like it comes down to the fourth quarter. I've never seen us blow out an opponent. Uh, under Pete Carroll, I don't, I don't, I honestly don't think we, it's ever happened really on a, on a grand level. Um, I mean, you know, do I have to remind, remind you, I mean, look at our, our, our schedule earlier this year uh, against a team that has absolutely collapsed, you know, the Falcons, you know, I mean, they were, they were supposed to be good and then they fell apart like the Eagles and, and well, maybe the Eagles weren't supposed to be that great, but you know, they're both about, I think, like four wins each or whatever. Uh, the Cowboy game was really close, and the Cowboys are what right now? Three and eight. Um, you know, we, we, we play down we play down to the level of teams, but we also play up to the level of good teams. I, I, I You know, it's frustrating to watch as a fan, but I guess I've kind of gotten used to it to a certain extent. So I wasn't as as naysaying and doomsaying as as some of the some of my friends who are uh, on my text message threads and everything. But uh, um, you know, a W is a W is a W at the end of the day, and um, we won. Uh, we can move on, and uh, you know, I mean, at the same time, we're now in sole possession of of the of our division again, which is great. Can't really complain about that. And, um, yeah. Uh, before I ask Abe his thoughts, you bring up the the topic about Pete Carroll, what, you know, how, how it is frustrating that every game is close no matter how good or bad the team is. I mean, obviously throughout his era here, it's majority of the games have been like that. I mean, 
You're, I know you're a college football fan. I didn't really follow him in college, but has it always been his mentality? I mean, he's just, he's just coaching college and, and the pros. That's just how he's been, do you know? Or, I mean, I, I don't understand why. Yeah. Oh, just, no, USC, he used to blow away his opponents. Did he? Okay. Because yeah. they were so much – they recruited so much. But USC was the powerhouse while he was there. They were a nation – I mean, they you know, they won the national championship while he was there. They they uh they they would just utterly destroy. They they'd play Cal or they'd play, um you know, Arizona or something like that in the Pac-12, and they'd just unload on them and and you know it'd be sixty-three to you know thirteen or something at the end. Okay, well, fair fair enough. I I mean I we're go ahead. Sorry. Oh, anyway, well, I was just gonna say par- parity is parity is greater in the NFL. And, yeah. and so that's that's part of it, I think. But it just it seems like a symptom of the Seahawks. Like I can't. I, I thinking back, I can't think of a time we've really blown out an opponent in a long while. Did you it's say been a while? We blew, we blew out we blew out a few teams. Um, I think it, it was either Russell's rookie season or the, or his second season. I remember we went up to we, when we played in Toronto. We beat up Buffalo really bad. We beat up Arizona really bad that same season. Uh, yeah, that was the second. Those? That was the second Super Bowl run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I okay. remember that. Yeah. Remember those games. That, that was a good time in in Seahawks fanhood. So did right. we beat the? Sorry to real real quick. Didn't we beat the Eagles back in that era too? Like forty five to nothing or something on a Monday night game. I remember us blowing them out. It was back pretty there. bad. I do remember I think some, that was a Mike yeah. Holmgren. I think it was a Mike Holmgren. Oh, was that before? Okay, could yeah. be. Anyways, that Abraham, was, go ahead. That was the that was the two thousand six Super Bowl year. Oh gosh, I'm thinking all the yeah. way back there. <laughs> I think that was Monday Night Football, as a matter of fact. Right on. Yeah, right on. you know that might have been 1979. I believe Harold Carmichael was the tight end, and oh, okay. uh, and Ron Jaworski was a quarterback. Yeah. Oh, all right. You sure it wasn't a Dave Craig era? Uh, no, this would have been Jim Zorn, not not the Seattle okay. Dragons head coach, but the. The quarterback. Oh, and by the way, Matt, the you were talking about parody, and are you sure you meant parody, or did you mean parody? Because that's what this game looked like to me. Philadelphia Eagles are not an NFL team. They are they are basically a bunch of of dock workers and uh, people. Yeah, wow. I that's what I said too. I'm like, who are these dock workers? That we apparently, yeah, we took on uh, uh, the union softball team and we still struggled and I did not appreciate that Pete Carroll can't get and Pete Carroll's a conservative coach and usually doesn't do things like this but he went for it on fourth down twice when you don't need to against a team that is bad and not bad as in BA double D you know road dog from WWF <laughs> raw era I'm talking bad as in they're not good and we took chances that we didn't need to take. And I don't understand what's going on there. We're a much better team than they are. And what I took away from this game was that the Seahawks' defense looks so much better than it used to. And it it it, it does my heart good, even though I know Dunlap just got injured. It does my heart good to see that this team found a gem that the Bengals decided to discard. They found a gem in Jamal Adams that the Jets decided was not going to work for them. 
I'm happy with rating these other teams of their best players to make up for our deficiencies. And we're seeing the cavalry come over the hill. We're seeing Gandalf come down the mountain with his white beacon light. And uh, this, this was defensively amazing. uh, Even if our coaching was suspect. I want to, real quick, real quick, quick. I just want to say real fast. Sorry. Sorry, Rob. I just want to say, I want to, I will, I will pay, I will buy you beer for a week, Abraham. If you go up to Fletcher Cox and tell him to his face that he's not an NFL player and that he's a dock worker. (laughs) Okay. Uh, So I saw uh, Fletcher Cox was the only guy that did anything uh, because he did sack Russell Wilson. (laughs) So he is of the dock workers. He's the one that, you know, is unloading he's, he's unloading sarcophagus, you know, in Transylvania. He's a he's he's a very strong dock worker. Uh-huh. Yeah, you telling me no, you telling me that Carson Wentz was any good? You, is that what you're telling me, Matt Page? No. Okay. That, that's my point. That, he's Mitchell Trubisky. That's part two. He's terrible. Let, let me take my first my first opportunity here to disagree with Abe because uh, you, know, you know I'm always itching for that opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I don't I, I have to disagree on two points. Uh, number one, um, you know, I don't really buy into per se that the you know the Seahawks defense performed so well on Monday night. I, and for the point that Abe just made. It was the Eagles. It was the dock workers of Philadelphia. It wasn't. It wasn't. wasn't, uh, It wasn't. You know, a. It wasn't Green Bay. It wasn't even Arizona. Imagine would beat Arizona, but you know, this this was a team that we should have handled. Um, And so I, you know, so although statistically um, it it seems to grade out, or you know, when you when you when you when you look at the game, it felt like it like it worked out for us. We got to you know contradict that the interception. You know, forced him into a bad throw and got a pick. Um, you know, uh, we held him down in the running game. It, it was, it was, it was good, but it was against the Philadelphia Dock Workers, and I'm not buying that. Um, and also, uh, the other thing that Abe said was, oh, about the uh, the play calling early in the game. I actually believe that because we were playing the Eagles, those fourth down calls were the perfect calls. Oh no. Because because if those plays had been executed properly, imagine what we would have done with that. What that scoreboard might have looked like heading into the. I mean, imagine what the score would have been going into the half if if um, DK Metcalf doesn't whiff on that block on that on that jet sweep to David Moore and it gets blown up. Um, and I forget what the play call was on the second uh, uh, fourth and goal. But um, you know, I mean, th- that that was a touchdown. David Moore almost just waltzes into the end zone. If Metcalf just doesn't whip his block, um, I think it was Metcalf. Um, and uh, and so uh, you know, with that in mind, you know, if those if you just give us those two plays, um, you know, and, and and a couple others, I think this game could have been blown out early, and I think we could, it could have been that game that I was hoping to see. Uh, so I liked the fourth down calls. I wasn't I wasn't uh, too upset about him, um, but I think Abe probably would have rather seen Jason Myers come out there and put three points on the board and. You know, those six points would have made a difference at the end of the day. It would have looked like we, you know, beat them you know, a little harder. But um, I don't mind the play calls. I believe the spread was six and a half. So the the, the field goals would have made a difference. And, uh, yeah, many yeah, people lost. a lot about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, yep. but this is not college football. There are no style points. It's a W mm-hmm. or it's not. 
Yeah, yeah. I understand that, but I, I don't think you just throw plays away because you think it's cool and it's fancy. Uh, you know, and if, if ifs and buts were cherries and nuts would all have a Merry Christmas, the fact of the matter is you don't run on fourth down and two at the goal line. You don't run wide and require a wide receiver to do a down block on a professional, even if he's a dock worker, uh, defensive end. Like, you don't do that. The play call was insanely pathetic and bad. I don't know if that's a Schottenheimer thing. I don't know if Russell Wilson had some strange audible that he wanted to do. I don't know if Pete Carroll, you know, saw, you know, the water boy and decided this was a great play. But it was a terrible play if you're going for it on fourth down. It was a ridiculous play. Pete Carroll did apologize in his post-game conference for those two stupid play calls. I mean, he didn't apologize to me. Well, he didn't apologize to you. I didn't get a text. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm just saying he did apologize. He knew it was the wrong choice. And so hopefully we don't see that crap again. I hope so. I I don't know. I, I I don't, I, I tend to, I, I tend to believe that most of us, myself included, um, live it like, you know, we, we tend to live in hindsight. And if that play had worked perfectly and he just skipped to, skipped to his loo right in the, right across the goal line, it would have been a genius play. Pete Carroll calling da 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 You know, it would have been, it would have been the, 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 I mean, what a genius play to call when they were, you know, stacking the box and, and looking at, looking toward the interior line and waiting for Chris Carson to, to power through and you give it to your, give it to your uh, quick guy around the edge. And, and it would have been, it would have been genius, but it didn't work. So he's an idiot. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't sign on for condemning a play for not working just because it didn't work. Because if it had worked, then we'd be taught. We'd, we'd, nobody would say that was a stupid play. You're lucky it worked. No, you. When it works, it's like, oh my god, you're a genius. Typically speaking. Yeah, but there's an old call. There's an old football mantra that you don't run wide on the goal line, and that's what they did. And that, that you just don't do that kind of thing. I mean, that's not the play. And this is my whole thing with the Super Bowl. Okay, like uh, the one that we lost against the Patriots. I don't have a. I don't have a problem with throwing on the goal line. I disagreed with that particular pay, play, and I disagreed with that particular wide receiver to throw to. And you know, it, it's it's a matter of uh, it's it's a matter of what you chose to do for me, ra- rather than you know, if you go for it on fourth, fine. There's a better play than that. There's there's a play action roll out to Russell Wilson to the right side where he's most effective, and you know, don't dump it to a guy over the, you know, trailing, uh, you know, on a drag, but it's definitely not some jet sweep. You, 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 bad play call, bad, bad, bad Pete Carroll. I don't know. I, I, I kind of feel like it's, it's, it is, it, it, it's a sign of genius when you have a, when you have some marquee play, when you have a Chris Carson, when you have a Tyler Lockett and you have a, a DK Metcalf, and then you, and then you, when you, when you really need it, when it's all on the line, you hit a Jacob Hollister. That 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 kind of that kind of thing is a genius thing to me. Not not you know not 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 a bad idea. You know what I mean? Like that that type of stuff is 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 smart to me. You know when it doesn't work though, it, it's a, it's a it's a pass or fail type test though. You know what I mean? You don't you don't get a grade. Dis- you either pass, I, you're smart, or you fail when you're an idiot. I can't believe I can't believe how much I disagree with you because. How did the Seahawks not get the NFC West last year? It's because they did indeed throw to Jacob Hollister on the last play of the game. Jacob Hollister cannot make that extra half yard. Better players than Jacob Hollister can make that half yard. 
So but that was the only place to throw the ball. Is it? That was the only place you could have threw it. I, I don't think I don't think you can blame Jacob Pollister for that. If your entire season re- relies comes down to one play, then the whole team and whole system. Well, no, I'm just I'm just saying when it comes to major plays, I, you don't throw to Ricardo Lockett to win the game. You don't throw to Jacob Pollister no, because it gets the intercepted by come. Malcolm Butler. That's why not. Okay. Yes, we've seen the play. I don't, we don't. We don't need to relive it. It's it's already in my 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 nightmares. But, but there's something to be said for not doing the thing that everyone in the whole planet exactly. expects you to do. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, and and as far as going for for, for on fourth down, the the judgment call to do it uh, on the first time, I absolutely agree with. Go for it. I don't know. I'm not 100 percent sure on the play call. I agree that if it had, you know, if, if that missed block hadn't happened, we probably would have had a touchdown. But uh, it's not the play. I, that's not that's not the play I would have called. Uh, the second fourth down after missing on the first one, I wouldn't have done. I, uh, you know, I know where the, where they were on the field. Uh, they were what, like at the forty or something like that of, of Philly. Um, I, 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 you know, after missing the first one, I would have been like, no, you know what? Let, let's see about getting some points here. Let's just, you know, let's slow down here. Let's just get some points. Uh, and try to kick a field goal. It would have been a long field goal, but he's proven that he can kick a long field goal this year. So, yeah, well, I, whatever. I don't want to be a friend anymore. <laughs> uh, welcome to the club. We meet uh, Tuesdays. We, we, we yeah. This this show is actually called now the. I don't want to be Abraham's friend anymore. Podcast. No, no, no. We 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 have a different podcast that we uh, we we run. It's on Tuesdays. We'll, wait, uh, we'll, uh, we'll like, uh, wait till you see like my God. stance on puppies and chocolate ice cream. <laughs> all, all I can say is, Abraham, if you were able to edit that last conversation and do it as a lead-in for our podcast when we share it online, I I think we would you know triple our viewers at least. That was amazing. So. <laughs> Props Speak- to both of you guys. I enjoyed listening to that. <laughs> speaking speaking of which, it looks like we just got another we got we got someone else online here. We got yeah. Richard A. Michelson from uh Ingram High School fame dialing in. Good evening, Rich. And he's there he is. Hey guys. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. I've been loving this discussion and I I've just gotta throw in my two cents <laughs> about the goal line thing. Okay. Go for in it. key high leverage situations in baseball, you throw your best pitch to the best location. In key high leverage situations, like on the goal line to win the game, you run your best play ideally to one of your best players. Unless you get some Ricardo Lockett wide freaking open. I'm talking like by 10 yards, then you can throw the ball to him. Other than that, you force it into somebody like Doug Baldwin or Marshawn Lynch. That's my two cents. That's a smart man talking right now. Well, he understands. We all know. Things. We all know they should have handed the ball off like three times to to, uh, to Lynch on that. That's because <laughs> we had two, what, two timeouts and like a minute and a half left on the clock or something crazy. I mean, yeah, they could have run the ball a bunch of times and they were on the half yard line. So we all know it should have gone to Lynch. But yeah, we get your point. <laughs> um, I mean, mo- mo- sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, running on the goal line and running wide on the goal line. I mean, I agree with Abe in general. You don't run wide on the goal line because, like, the reward is a touchdown, which is what, let's say, you know, say you're on the two, you get two yards, you know, 
but the, the, the drawback, the potential is like a seven or eight or 15 yard loss. Cause you ran wide and the, uh, halfbacks, uh, you know, gets it in his head that he's got the moves to be, you know, 11 guys zoned in on him. Right. I mean, like we've seen it all the time. So, um, I, I get the general, the general gist that Abe's making as much as it pains me to agree <laughs> with him on anything. But, um, but with that being said, I mean, if you call it, it's one of these things, which I hate in analysis, but like, if you're going to call such a high risk play, like a jet sweep on the goal line, you damn well better get it right. You better execute that. And yeah, that's, that's, yeah, it wasn't good. Absolutely. Um, we talked about Carlos Dunlap earlier and one of the things after the game Monday night, the thing that concerned me was he was hurt and all I know is he had an MRI and they said that his foot is hurt. Does any of you guys know, uh, you know, more, more about what's going on? I mean, I, I think it's, they're covering something it's up. It's not serious. They said it's nothing serious is what they're stating. Do we believe them? Um, well, everyone that's, it didn't look that significant. Okay. Um, I don't believe Pete Carroll at all. And that's why I'd like to see Dunlap sit against the Jets. Or Giants, I mean. Sorry. With the Giants, yeah. That would be fine. I mean, we could, we could, we could deal without him. He, uh, he did not participate on practice uh, yesterday. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we can rest him for a week. That's fine. We'll have him. We'll, we, if it's nothing serious, we'll have him for the playoffs, which is when we'll really need him. By the way, can I go I back to something? Because – oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, Carlos Dunlap is like, honestly, in my opinion, he is the difference for the Seahawks of whether they make a deep run uh, into the playoffs or they don't. With him, their their defense can be good enough to keep him in games. Uh, without him, bleh, not so much. And by the way, uh, that's actually where I was going to go with this. I wanted to go back and take a look at pre-Carlos Dunlap and post-Carlos Dunlap. If you look at the sack totals with him, 19. Without him on the team, 12. There's a correlation here. And I don't know what the Bengals were doing. I don't know what they didn't see in this guy. Maybe the relationship just turned sour at that point. But you got to remember, this is a guy at the University of Florida who basically won Tim Tebow those games. Well, him and Aaron Hernandez and Percy Harvin and all the other NFL talent that was on the team. But, you know, you're talking about you're talking about a guy who's got 86 sacks in his career, and he's turned this team around, him and Jamal Adams, in my opinion. And I, that's where I'm seeing just so much potential in this defense right now. Rob, Rob English, do you agree with your former friend Abraham or disagree? I want to hear your opinion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's actually making some sense on this one. Um, yeah, uh, Carlos Dunlap has made um, this defense, um, you know, much much in the same way that um, Jadavion Clowney did, um, except for, you know, he had a more direct effect. Clowney, Clowney made, made some plays, but I think Clowney's, just his presence on the line was was uh, m- you know more of a more of a factor. You know, obviously he had he had those two what he had two pick sixes I think, but uh, uh, or wow, a pick six and a fumble return or something like that. But um, but uh, yeah, no, I he, he's he, him being on the field is making a difference right away. Um, and um, yeah, I, I have to agree him him on the field 
make a is going to have a direct correlation to how far we're able to go in the playoffs. Uh, we're going to be playing some 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 good quarterbacks uh, once we get to January, and um, and it's going to be you know if we can't get some pressure on these guys to throw them off their mark, uh, get them get them off their spot and force them you know some errant throws or or rush them throws something like that. Um, they're going to sit back there and pick us apart, much like we've been picked apart all year. And you know we've been picked apart by guys that are far less talented than guys like Aaron Rodgers, you know, um, you know, so uh, yeah, Dunlap, his foot needs to not be a big deal. And according to all reports, it's not that big of a deal. I think I said his status for uh, Sunday is unclear, but it's supposed to be not a big deal. So we'll, we'll knock on wood. Maybe not. Cause I knocked on wood yeah. earlier and, and, um, and, <laughs> yeah, and it didn't work out too well. So I don't, I, I'll just keep my fingers crossed. How about that? <laughs> Uh, before we talk about the next game, Abraham's posted this, I don't know how many times on social media this week, but Russell Wilson is no longer cooking. Rather, he's heating up TV dinners these last couple of weeks. Are you guys okay with that? I'll start with it, uh, Matt. Um, <clears throat> well, if they're TV dinners, then they're really, really high-quality, expensive, super, you know, expensive ones that I've never heard of and that I would never be able to find at the aisle at Safeway. <laughs> yeah, they're Marie uh, Callender's. They're not your standard Swanson's. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. So I have to go to QFC instead. Okay. All right. You know, got to go to the little higher, higher class market or, or Hagen's or. You need to go to the, um, the, the community market or like the shoreline market. The PCC. Yeah. The PCC. The yeah, Whole okay. Foods. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Oh, the whole paycheck. Got it. All right. <laughs> uh, no, my, my, my point is that uh, I, I am perfectly fine uh, with them. It's not necessarily that he's now heating up dinner. It's that they've, they, they, they've reestablished that we actually have a rushing attack. We actually have a rushing game. And that balances out our offense and actually makes our offense about five times better. And our offense was amazing when, when Russell was on. But when you add, when you add, Hot, at least just hide. All you need is just hide one. You know, one of the two at least. Um, it adds a whole other dimension to the offense, and the defenses don't know what to do about it and can't are on their back foot pretty pretty steadily, except when you have stupid coaching decisions and goose call play play calls. But uh, <laughs> in general, in general, I I am more than happy to see Russ take a step back where he doesn't have to press so hard. He doesn't have to carry the team as hard. Um, and that, you know, we have a more well-rounded offense. I think we'll, we're going to be a lot more successful that way. We are. I'm guys... gonna... Go ahead. I'm a little concerned, actually. I was just looking at the targeting. Um, through to G- DK Metcalf 13 times. I mean, 10 catches, 177 yards. That's, that's outstanding. I'll take that any day of the week. It's just that, like, no one else was really that involved. Tyler Lockett, three catches, four targets, 23 yards. Chris Carson, 18 yards, three, two targets. Jacob Polster, five targets, two catches, 11 yards. I mean, just like, uh, and I mean, the rushing looked nice from Carson, but I mean, Carlos Hyde was 15 carries, 22 yards. I mean, this, something needs to be revamped here. I, I kind of agree with Abe that, that, that it's not cooking um, but like, I don't, I don't know what the solution is. People are smarter than me to probably try to figure that out, but it's, it's just not going to work week in and week out. I don't know. I, 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 I don't necessarily think that, uh, he's necessarily, you know, gone the, gone the lazy dinner route. I mean, um, 
I think against uh, Arizona, what did we completed 82% of his passes and he threw two TDs, no picks, uh, a rating of 109, almost 120. Uh, against Philly, he had well, just over 70%. He had a touchdown, uh, one touchdown, you know, which is, seems like it's, you know, pedestrian for Russell given, you know, what he's been doing all year long. But um, he's been efficient. Um, I don't know that his targeting has more, much to do with anything other than I think defenses watching what we've done on offense this year are likely deciding to take away one or the other player. And if I was going to guess, I, I and I'm, those two players being um, DK or Tyler Lockett, because um, for the most part, when one hasn't gone off, the other one has. Um, and I think maybe defenses are deciding that, hey, if you maybe they're just going based on what they saw Jalen Ramsey do to um, DK Metcalf, which was hold him completely, I mean, out of the game. Um, uh, and maybe they're thinking, hey, you put your best guy on and lock him down. Maybe, maybe you can, you know, maybe that what he did to what's his name from New England was a fluke. If you put your best corner on him, you can hold him down. He's proven that's not the case. I wouldn't be surprised if Lockett goes off this this weekend um, because you know they've been taking away. It seems to be take, take, taking away Lockett and and DK keeps going, you know, going after him for big yardage and and and, and uh, a big amount of reception. So um, I, I don't know if I'd, I'd attribute it to Russell, you know, being you know, having a, a narrow cone of vision, if you will, and just locking on to uh, Metcalf so much. Um, I think just taking what they're giving us. Fair enough. Uh, New York Giants are coming to can, town can, this can Sunday. I, can I throw in on this one? Um, okay, go for it. <laughs> oh, geez. Listen to you. You're like, <laughs> oh, God. All right, Abraham, whatever. <laughs> um, you're still on this call? <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> thought someone d- hit the oh, dump man. button on that guy. Uh, no, uh, so... I wholeheartedly believe, because I've been posting this on Facebook, I've been shouting this from the mountaintops, I have been doing, I even hired a skywriter to go out to Snohomish, get up in a plane, and write this up in the up in the air. Russ has not been cooking. He's been making top ramen and putting an egg on top of it. Rich, I know how you used to live in Taiwan. Don't deny that that's what you eat every day. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, it's delicious. <laughs> Um, but no, the stats are down and I, I think personally there is room for both cooking and for running. I don't think we needed to go 50, 50, like we did on Monday night. It did not need to be 30 carries and 30 passes. It, I, the one thing that I saw this year that really, really made me interested is that our first down percentage is well above uh, 40%. Um, and you know, it, that's, we've never had that in the Russell Wilson era. I like throwing early. Um, there's gotta be a way guys. There has to be a way where we can still light it up in the air yet be smart about things and run the ball effectively. Think Kansas city chiefs is what I'm talking about. Kansas City Chiefs don't they don't not run the ball, which we kind of did in the beginning of the season. We just didn't have Chris Carson, so we said screw it, you know. Um throw it, air it out, especially on first downs, especially early in the game, but mix it up. I would the 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 slavish devotion to ground and pound, I don't think this team needs to do that. I think it needs to be a mix and a match and keep the enemies on their toes. And, and if they could do that, that'd make me so happy. It doesn't have to be an extreme one way or the other. 
Anybody disagree real quick before we talk about our next opponent? Yeah. No, I, I actually got to jump in here with just one one thing here. No, I'm totally going to agree with Abe, which, again, oh. pains me to no end. Pains me. But, like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go way back in the way back machine. Do you guys remember when we had Kurt Warner? No, not the quarterback, the running back. Yeah. And we had yeah. David Craig. And they had a um, a sprint draw series of plays that they used to run with that Seahawks team back in the, the good old days um, with the, you know, the green in the uniform and whatnot, uh, the, the, the real green, not the, the neon crazy green, uh, which, which I love, but is still a little bit uh, obnoxious. But anyway, they would run that play over and over and over. And the problem was for defenses is they just didn't know how, like what was coming. Cause it looked literally looked the same on a running play and it looked exactly the same on a passing play. And the Seahawks don't have anything like that. But if they could have something like that, uh, a play or a set of play series that would then – it would open up the passing game because it literally would, would give that deception and give you know the, the linebackers that hesitation, the defensive backs that hesitation. Um, and then the same thing if it was actually the run, right, is that it would, it would freeze the linebackers and the safeties, you know, that half step that can open up little seams and gaps and make – you know, a three-yard grinded out in a, a cloud of dust into, you know, a five, six, seven-yard, you know, nice gain, and then you have like a second and a three, or you, you do that on second and ten, and now you have a manageable third and three, for example. I, I hate to agree with Abe, but I totally agree with it. And I think it has to come – comes that comes down to play selection and tactics, and I'm less than impressed uh, the last, say, five weeks. Fair enough. Anybody else real quick? I mean, I, I, I guess I agree. <laughs> no, I, 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 I get it. it, it, it it's kind of like what we, how we used to have, you know, we used to run the, um, you know, the read option a lot, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that we, you know, we, we had, we had some, a little bit of, uh, you know, there was, there was some uncertainty in, 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 in the minds of the defense because you didn't know if you were going to have to deal with Marshawn Lynch or if Russell was going to pull it back in and take off around the other side. Or, you know, and, and now they have this, this RPO thing that we never really picked up on too much. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, we, there's not a lot of deception. Um, and, um, and when you see a, a vanilla-flavored offense, you know, we know our defense is vanilla-flavored, but when you see a vanilla-flavored offense and you see it not work, it's frustrating. So I, I get where you guys are coming from, but, um, you know, whatever. I've got to jump, jump guys, in here one other thing. Russell Wilson is one of – if not the best deep thrower in the NFL, he is one of the top three deep throwers. And think back to early Russell Wilson, rookie and second year, 2012, 2013. How many times did he play action fake, sit back, you know, in a seven-step drop, flip the ball, do a couple cartwheels, smoke a cigarette, and then throw the ball down the field, right? Because of the deception of that play, right, of those play action fakes, right? And I I just, I'm totally baffled as to where any deception has gone, given it's the same head coach. It's just baffling to me. If I was going to guess, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. If I was going to guess, if I was going to guess, I'd say that, you know, the same thing doesn't work, you know, for so many years in a row. I would imagine that, that teams have been watching Russell Wilson do this for, you know, a long time now. Um, And, uh, you know, coming up on a decade. Um, I think that you know you're, you you kind of get a beat on 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 what a team's tactics and what their what their tendencies are. 
um, and you and you you shade toward those things now. And I, I, that's the only reason I can imagine because he still does those every once in a while when the opportunities are there. Um, you know, but I, I think I have to imagine that that teams are are watching for that now, and and you just can't do the same thing over and over again. Um, the deep ball, I I like, I love seeing Russell throw the deep ball. I think the one thing about going deep on first down, as I think Abe was saying, is that if you go deep on first down, it's 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 certainly a tendency breaker. But if you don't hit it, you're now behind the stick. And Pete Carroll does not enjoy being behind the stick. On se- second and ten is not a good spot to be. And, and and with the Seahawks, we're lucky if it's not second and fifteen or second and twenty with you know with our, with our pre-snap penalties. So. Uh, you know, uh, so you're going to risk, you know, getting a holding call, trying to throw the ball deep, you know, so you're, you know, you're, you're, you're running a risk throwing the ball deep on first down. So I, I, I get why you want to run the ball. Um, but yeah, I don't know. That's my two cents. Didn't Matt have an objection? I always have an objection when it's, when it comes to you. Yes. <laughs> uh, regarding, regarding the deep ball in the back 10 years ago or eight years ago, I guess it was, um, you have to remember that that was when we didn't have a competent G, uh, uh, offensive coordinator, and half the time it was because the plays broke, mm-hmm. and so Russell had to make stuff up, and and that was the magic of him. He could cover for Bevel and his incompetence for years and years and years, and now somehow somehow now he's someone does not like Daryl Bevel. Somehow, somehow he's now running <laughs> the Detroit Lions, and I don't know how, but I think it's going to be hilarious when it blows up. Um, but, <laughs> but, uh, as for, as for the overall topic, uh, I, I, we're a running team. We always have been under Pete. We're slowly kind of implementing a lot more passing because we have an embarrassment of riches as the wide receiver, uh, situation and a balanced attack is better uh, to keep the defenses on their back foot. But I think it, first and foremost, we are a rushing team still. We still have that identity at our core. And so we're not letting our, our, our quarterback rush off and, and, and carry the team and throw the ball 500 times a game. I don't mind. Uh, we're still being successful with our offense, and, and Russell can, can, can chill a little bit more and save his arm for, for the playoffs, if need be, for some heroics there. Uh, and, and, you know, I just – I'm okay with it. I, I'm I'm absolutely okay with Russell not having to carry the team. Soul man, and before complaining about that. Soul man, before you move on to the next question, I just want to ask a question to the entire group okay. here. Who do you like better, Daryl Bevel or me? Wow, I expected answers a lot faster than this. Um, Got my answer. <laughs> I, I just asked Derek. Derek Bevel. Yeah, he's Abraham. Like, yeah. He's like one good year and like. In that year, he had like eleven good games, and then that was like it. So Maybe. like, and Abe, Abe, for all of his faults, he's uh, at least he you know organizes game night every once in a while and puts this podcast on. So I mean, those are kind of <laughs> and, and uh, his impact is minimal in terms of uh, you know affecting other people's lives. I have not lost any Seahawk games. Scale. You are correct there. I have you not been directly for games. <laughs> I mean. For, you don't For me, know. I mean, that's amazing at this point, given how much those guys lose. So. <laughs> <laughs> for, for me, for me, it's, it's such a close race between the two. I think I'd rather just have them both just uh, fight it out. You know, both Battle of them have Royale, to fight yeah. the best, and <laughs> yeah. the winner, the winner gets to be my friend. <laughs> 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 
Yeah. All right. Between, between, between and their, I'll pay yeah, money. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> whoever, whoever wins, how bad do you guys want me to like you? And, uh, you know, the last man standing is it, just to stay on my Facebook. <laughs> I would pay money to see that. <laughs> Anyways, Jay, you grew on me, so I guess I have to choose you. So. Uh, <laughs> moving on, now can we let's talk about our next opponent, the New York Giants. They are coming to town, led by Colt McCoy. Um, Anyways, before I get your opinions, uh, personally, I think New Giants have a crappy offense, but I think their defense is, is decent, but I, I don't see a letdown. I think the Hawks should be, be able to pull this one out easily. Guys, any of you have thoughts on Sunday's game? Well, I think we all have set? thoughts. Well, the Abraham, then. I want to start, we'll start with Abraham. Oh, I'm sorry I laughed when you mentioned Colt McCoy. I'm sure he's a great person, and he, go, he goes home every night, you know, and just, you know, cooks, cooks dinner for his wife and, you know, takes his kid to bed. And here I am, some jerk on the Internet, just laughing <laughs> at the prospect of him being a quarterback. Uh, the... Uh, I think Daniel Jones has a outside shot of still playing, but let's face it. Colt McCoy's no good. This guy's a career. He's a career like uh, 60 or something like that. Rating quarterback wise, uh, never really panned out. And I, I think he was originally intended just to be there to hold a clipboard and and yeah, he is good at the, he's right up there with, uh, he's right up there with clipboard Jesus. And I, I, I clipboard Jesus. <laughs> oh, and, um, uh, the former, uh, Mark Brunel, Mark Brunel was really good at holding clipboard for like 15 years. Wait a minute. Hold on. Shut up. You oh, Oregon Mark duck. Brunel was a great what are you talking about? about? What are you he talking about? Starter. He was an amazing starter. I really enjoyed watching him play. I was a big fan of him, even though he was a Husky. But once he once he uh, once he was no longer a starter and he no longer had those skills, he became the clipboard guy because he lost all his money in that Ponzi scheme, and so he had to work for so many years, and he, and so he carried the clipboard for like yeah, ten years. Everybody had forgotten about his bad investments, and you have to bring yeah. this up on the show. Well, no, so that's why he had. That's why he played. That's why he was a clipboard guy carrier for like ten years after he was a capable quarterback in the NFL. Teams took pity on him. But he was really, really good as a clipboard carrier. Okay, so anyway. he's better than Colt McCoy because Colt McCoy never got caught up in a pyramid scheme. No, he's better than Colt McCoy because he had more talent. Oh, Any, anyway, do, anyways, do we win Sunday with or without Jones or McCoy a quarterback for them? That's what I, my question is. <laughs> I think you need to realize that Jones it isn't that much talented to begin with either, so it really doesn't impact their choices much. Well, I was going to say, Jones looks like a guy running around with his head chopped off. I mean, he is their leading rusher, but that's probably because he's running for his life. Let's kind of say Quan Barkley is, I think he's, is he dead? Did, did someone poke him recently? <laughs> um, I think, well, he's hurt, but yeah. yeah. That's the only reason that, that, uh, that Jones would be. Record, I, think, I think chickens run around with their head chopped off. I think if a guy has his head chopped off, he just dies. <laughs> Wait a minute! Can I just bring up? He, he looks like uh, he looks like Fran Tarkington back there, you know, with no offensive line, just running for his life. How's that? That's a better analogy. I need to br- I need hey, to bring this well, up. No, They've got quality. Had real talent. Hang on, 
Well, Fran, oh, okay. Fran Tarkenton went to four Super Bowls. So, first of all, yeah. um, didn't win any, but whatever. Um, speaking of four, that's exactly how many wins the Giants have had. And they have defeated juggernauts like Philadelphia, Washington, wow. Ooh. Cincinnati, Washington. <laughs> so, that's it. Yeah. Four wins. Yeah. Yeah, they might get a fifth before the end of the year. Watch out. I don't think so Washington's on their schedule anymore. <laughs> are we going to have a blowout this Sunday then, or are we going to have another close game? How's that? We'll rephrase the question. Oh, if it's the Seahawks, bet on close games. <laughs> but we'll yeah, have, but it'll I, be I think it's going to be a barn burner. I think this is like a 34-44 type game. It'll it'll be a W for the Seahawks, but my money's on close games because that's just the way we roll. I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and um, you know get ready to put my foot in my mouth, but I'm gonna say this. I'm gonna say this actually is the game that we blow out, uh, blow out the opponent. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we we are fortunate to uh, be able to play two NFC least teams in a row. Um, uh, neither one of these teams is truly formidable. Um, we got him, you know, at the, I almost have to clink again. What's it? Lumen where I got him at, at the light. <laughs> <laughs> no, not that it necessarily matters this year, but, um, you know, I, I think, I think this game, we actually go ahead and we just put it on the New York giants. It's going to be an ugly one. Um, I, I see everybody walking out of this game, just feeling like it's just on, on cloud nine, but the problem with it, is that I think it's going to set us up for disappointment in one of the last um, uh, four games of the season. Um, not that you know, not not that we're gonna you know lose our way out of the playoffs or anything like that. But I, I think one of the last four games of the season, I think we we're, we might um, end up having an issue with. Um, and I think we're going to you know, there's going to be a bunch of talk, media and otherwise, uh, about how good the Seahawks are because they beat down the Giants so bad. Um, but I'm going to stick with my guns and say, look, just because we look good against a bad team does not mean we look good. Those aren't, those aren't one and the same. Um, but I, I'm going to go ahead and say that we, uh, we put a good whoop on the Giants this weekend. I agree uh, with you. I agree uh, with you on this. this. Colt McCoy has a silly macho name, and yes, he was good enough to beat out Major Applewhite back at Texas, but the truth is here, we can rest our guys, and that's what I really want to do. I just, anybody who's marginally injured just rest them we can beat them and we should beat them like a drum and it it, rest your guys if it's a close game cool whatever just play long term here seahawks play long term um i I have to say that that you guys chose the wrong new york team to be our blowout because a week later we're playing the j-e-t-s jets who have yet to win a game and who have a coach that <laughs> is intentionally, well, he's not intentionally, he's incompetent and, and they're keeping him intentionally there because they want the first pick. Uh, and, and so they're going to actively throw the game against us. And so we're going to pretty much just walk to a win on colossal pro- proportions. So I, I think you guys are a week ahead on your, on your prediction for, uh, for that, and, and I also wanted to give give a uh, give credit to Abraham uh, with the uh, always looking for a way to to uh, to bring up Major Applewhite. Uh, you know, <laughs> always like that reference. 
Frankly, the frankly the Jets game. Sorry, the, the, no, the Jets ahead. game uh, kind of scares me. Uh, it, it makes me it makes me think about situations like when we've gone up against Tampa Bay. When Tampa Bay has been horrible, um, I think it was winless Tampa Bay, if I'm not mistaken, a couple of years or a few years back. Uh, Might have been the Super Bowl years uh, or a year after. I don't know. It was a few years ago. It was winless Tampa that went up 21 to nothing on us, and we had to end up beating them. I think in overtime or something like that. Um, uh, at, at at Seattle, um, yeah. so the, those kind of games. You know, when I when I think about stuff like that, going up against a team that has nothing to lose, um, uh, it, it kind of puts me in a in a in a state of worry. You do bring up a good point. I mean, even though I called uh, Philadelphia a bunch of dock workers, they are they are some of they're fifty of the top one thousand best athletes on this planet, and they. There's many of them who want jobs. Take a look at take a look at what happened to DK Metcalf during this Monday night game. There are people trying to pick fights with them because they're trying to prove how tough they are in a lost season, right? And that's the kind of thing that can keep you employed next season. Right. Yep. Very good point. Uh, Rob, yeah. You, you, um, sorry, go ahead. One other, just quick, just quick thing. Um, Abe, you did get confused on. Um, your major Applewhite reference. You're confusing Colt McCoy with Chris Sims. They're basically the same dude. <laughs> They're all um, just, all Texas quarterbacks are the same guy. Okay. Well, blonde, <laughs> blonde hair, blue eyes. Yeah, yeah. Not as good as their backup. Um, he, and mediocre NFL quarterback. Even um, Vince, even but, Vince Young. Yes. He's blonde hair, blue eyed too. He's the same. Well, guy. wait. You have to. You have to give. You have to give Chris Sims at least partial credit because he played so hard. He vented a spleen during the game. I mean, come on. Yeah, that was just foolish. I mean, that's not brave. That's just. Foolish. <laughs> well, that was commitment. That's what that was. That was foolishness. Okay. Uh, moving so on. Nothing Rob- is worth part of your spleen. You are correct. <laughs> Rob, do you have time for one more question? Uh, yeah, sure. Okay, it's NL, not see how clearly, but it's NFL relatable. So I'll start with you. Uh, last weekend there was no quarterbacks in Denver, and Ravens had to use their backup this week due to COVID nineteen. Uh, starting with you, what what are your thoughts on what can a team do to pre- prevent this from happening again this season, or even possibly next year? You know, that that's that's a tough one. I mean, how do you how do you prevent your quarterback from catching a cold you know or catching, you know, catching something that's going <laughs> that's going around going around the you know the whole planet um i mean the, the most you can do is um and i think actually I, I when i was listening to this question was posed to pete carroll uh this week um an oppressor um and he said you know if if something you know if the worst possible thing were to happen uh what do you do and i i can't remember our, our third quarterback's name <laughs> but um uh, he, he actually said that the, their protocol that they follow is that they keep their emergency quarterback separate from the rest of the team or the rest of the quarterback. So, so just in case, you know, the quarterbacks go down, they have a backup or an emergency quarterback who hasn't been around those quarterbacks. So they can't, you know, be put into the, into the uh, COVID protocol for being around those guys who tested positive for COVID. So um, that's one thing, I guess, that the Seahawks are doing. But, I mean, what really can you do? You know, Seattle has been – I'm going to keep my fingers crossed on this one as well. You know, Seattle has been one of the few teams, I think, um, that has not had any positive tests for COVID, and, you know, which is amazing considering we played against a couple of teams that tested positive right after we were, you know, 
wrestling with him. Um, you know, so uh, it's it, it's amazing. I hope we can you know stay that fortunate um, all the way through February. Um, but what, yeah, again, to your, I guess to answer your question, what do you do? Um, I think you just you just hope. You just gotta hope. Well Russell, said. Russell, Russell needs to stay in the house with Sierra. <laughs> it's, it's Danny Etling. Just for the oh, the, oh, the third stringer. Etling, yep, that's right. Yep. Any of you guys care to counter before we send Rob off into the night? To the good night. To the good night. I, I, just I have two two things to say about the the Broncos. I mean, a it sounds like the Seahawks have actually thought this through and had a plan in place, but also. There were a lot of reports about the Broncos basically not following the protocols that, like, for being socially distant. They had them on video. Masks. They had them on videotape too. Yeah, oh, wow. like, like I, I just look at this point. We are in month number nine of a worldwide global pandemic of a disease that's actually kind of pretty serious. And not only is it screwing up people's livelihoods, but actually killing people. And if you don't have the common sense or the common decency to, like, be considerate of the people and do the basics, then I'm just really not terribly sympathetic. And the fact that it was the Broncos um, and they're they're run by John Elway was just, like, chef's kiss. You know, like, too bad. You guys screwed up and the league dropped the hammer on you, as they should. I was actually really, really glad that one league had the stones to actually discipline players for screwing around. I'm subtweeting the uh, Major League Baseball and uh, the Houston Astros situation, by the way, Abe. You're still wrong on that. The Justin Turner situation that he didn't get get in trouble at the the World Series. But, yeah. Uh, Well, the the other thing to think about, though, is it it was the Denver Broncos and they were playing the Saints. They weren't going to win anyway. Ah, <laughs> uh, oh, no, 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 no. Don't give me that. Taysom Hill is not good, people. I don't know where this. No, he's not. But you, but that offense can run on autopilot. With no, 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 no. Don't. So here's the thing. That offense can run on autopilot. He was not going to get a stain on his shirt the entire night. He's like. With how good that offense is, he's kind of like Mark Rippon in the 1991 Washington what? Redskins. He's not really very good, but like with the Hogs in front of him, he wasn't ever. He never got a stand on his shirt, so he had like five years to throw the ball every time he dropped back. So man, you gonna let him talk about Mark Rippon like that? Yeah, Mark Rippon was a pretty mediocre NFL quarterback that had the most amazing core of running backs uh, and the Hogs in front of him. He had like three awesome running backs and three awesome receivers to throw the ball to, and all day to do it. Yeah, yeah. And Taysom Hill, and Taysom Hill, how many passes? Ring. How many passes did yeah, he complete? He did get a ring. Yeah. So did Trent Dilfer, who didn't yeah. do much at all to contribute to the Ravens well, winning at all. Like, hang on, Dilfer was actually a pretty decent quarterback. Ripping, but... By the way, Brian, it's just a dig at A being uh, being wrong. Uh, hang on, wait a, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's also a dig at the Denver Broncos' third quarterback. Apparently, are you? Are you serious? No. First of all, you married a BYU Cougar, and that's why you can't see past Taysom Hill and the fraud that he is, okay? First of all. Second of all, if you look at what he did, because I watched the damn game, and some backup wide receiver for Denver 
through one pass for 11 yards. Taysom Hill didn't light the world on fire. Taysom Hill didn't score a touchdown through the air. Taysom Hill couldn't even get the ball past 10 yards with his arm. I don't know what game you were watching. But you, you, what you're failing to notice, Abe, is that even if the three quarterbacks that Denver Broncos had were available, they still wouldn't have won. They would have won. That's my point. No, no they could have won. not good enough. They've got a ripping on their on their roster who may or may not be a quarterback. And, and I forget who the third guy is. <laughs> you guys seriously think Taysom Hill's good? Oh, yeah. Uh, no, he, he is a football player. He is a incredible athlete. He is not an NFL quarterback. Hang on. Where, where's Rob, where's Rob on this one? I want to, I want to get English's, uh, uh, yeah, I, I tend to, I, I look at, uh, at Hill as he's a gadget player. Uh, he is a superior athlete, um, to have the ball in his hands, period is a danger to any defense. Um, now, he's not a he's not your, your orthodox QB. He's not even your really your unorthodox QB. He's, but he's, he's, a, he's a guy who, with the football in his hands, is dangerous. Simple as that. He can throw the football. He can run with the football. He can catch the football. He can do a lot of different things on the field almost all at the same time, and that's what makes him dangerous. And I think that, um, especially if he has a, a couple of games to get under his, under, you know, get himself uh, acclimated, um, you know, uh, I think he could actually be quite dangerous. I mean, uh, it depends on what kind of, what they're going to do for him. I mean, look at Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow won a playoff game, you know, and Tim Tebow wasn't a great pocket passer, but he could do a lot of things with the football in his hand. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I, I think Taysom Hill is at least that good. So, um, yeah, I, now I don't believe he's going to be, you know, your your greatest quarterback ever or anything like that. But can you win the football games for you? Absolutely. You're all wrong. He's terrible. <laughs> he's worse than Tim Tebow. And Tim Tebow, by the way, threw a five yard pass against a cover zero defense. Quick slant. Yes. Yeah. He did nothing. He, where against against where where a, a safety who is the backup because the starter couldn't play in Mile High Stadium. Uh, yeah, blew his coverage, and, and the wide receiver ran it the rest of the way. No, but you know why that play worked? That play worked because you have to keep your eyes in the backfield to make sure that Tim Tebow wasn't going to take off and run with it. He, it, it, was, it was his physical ability that changes the way teams have to play you. And, yeah. and, okay. and, and, and <laughs> Tim Tebow, so Tim, hang on, Tim Tebow <laughs> won a game completing two passes once that, that, against the that Chicago game. Bears. That game was won because Matt Prater can kick like nobody's business, and because uh, and because Demarius Thomas is really fast. <laughs> yeah, Demarius Thomas is really fast. But I'll, I'll just also pers- back to the the Saints. They ran for over two hundred yards on the Broncos. They threw for seventy yards or something like that. It, okay, but, okay, okay. So they threw for seventy eight <laughs> yards against the Broncos. So basically, the Broncos knew what was going to come and couldn't stop them. Exactly. That says something, right? I, I, I mean, can't believe I can't believe Soulman Solak will let you get away with talking down about Mark Rippon like that. And, and his son, and his, Mark Rippon was a nephew. It's his nephew. Oh, his nephew. Sorry, my apologies. 
because he was talking smack to you, Abe, so that's why I let him go with it. So. Friendships right. are ending. Friendships are ending all over the place on this episode. <laughs> I don't care if I've known Rich my entire life. Done. They saw me as terrible. Anyways, does Rob English have any shout outs? You want to plug your podcast before we say goodnight to you? Um, yeah, let me go ahead and, uh, I, uh, who am I going to, I had a, yeah, I had a shout out and I don't remember who it was. Oh man. How disappointing. Uh, I'll just, is I'll it just your daughters? Guys. Is it your daughters? Shout, no, are, no, are not, they still I'm not, shouting, no, they're not daughters today. They can, uh, they, they should be in bed right now. <laughs> but they're still wearing Seahawks gear, right? They, they, yeah. Well, yeah, they are. I think, I think that their mother has the plan. Um, to get to buy them some um, uh, some San Francisco 49ers oh, here because no. she's a 49 fan. She's from the East Bay. Mm. And, um, yeah, yeah. She can't know, be trusted, she, clearly. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I told you guys before, sleeping with the enemy. But, um, but uh, no, uh, yeah, please check out the podcast, uh, Short Yardage with the SoCal Seahawk, Robert English. Uh, you can catch me on, on uh, Spotify. I'm on Podbean. Um, I catch the Find the links on Seattle Sports Union. Um, where else am I? Uh, Apple Podcast. Um, yes, yeah, subscribe and stay tuned and listen. Right on. Thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, not a problem, guys. Always my pleasure. And uh, I will see you guys after we beat up on these Giants. All right. All right. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. Later. Have a good night. Later. Bye, guys. All right. Now, moving on, we're going to talk some Seattle Sounders. Woohoo! Do you have any sounder music for us, Abe? Uh, no, but we can just go with the uh... sounders. <laughs> um, last night they beat. Last night they beat Dallas FC one to nothing. Let's talk about the game. So start with our expert, Rich. Tell us a little bit about the game. Okay, so this this was this was a a really great game. Um, very well played on for the most part on both sides. Um, this Dallas team, uh, tried their best, uh, to do an impression of the Portland Timbers. Um, they tried to sit deep. They tried to basically shore up their defense, park the bus and not really play, um, offensively, except on the counterattack, uh, against the Sounders team that, that held the, the majority of the ball, uh, throughout the night. Um, and, uh, and they and they lost. Um, the Sounders really outplayed them across the board um, in all statistical categories, um, including the most, uh, I guess, nebulous one. But um, the most nebulous one was, uh, you know, the, the the danger that the Sounders created. Um, so uh, one thing that that has been Seattle's Achilles' heel all season is when a team decides to just sit deep and counter, um, uh, basically the Sounders get frustrated, and what they do is they just lob in 40 crosses a game. Uh, for the uninitiated there out there listening tonight, uh, that is not good. Um, most uh, What we're talking about is where you just get to the side out, out wide, you don't have anything you can do, and so you just – you know, lob the ball into the box, hoping that one of your guys gets his head on the ball and and, and scores a goal. It's a, it's a terrible idea. It's kind of like throwing up a 
a 35 foot three pointer as the shot clock's expiring. It, 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 it indicates a lack of offensive creativity and ideas. Um, the good news for everyone out there, uh, the Sounders did not do that last night. And in fact, they, uh, on a number of times, took Dallas's defense apart and basically through patience and superior movement uh, with the ball, really intelligent runs and very good passing. Uh, created just a ton of danger. Um, they did have a bunch of crosses, but they were all from really good positions, very, very dangerous. Um, they were just a little bit off all night, which, you know, is not ideal. But they also scored the, the only goal the, of the game, and they were super solid defensively. Dallas, in essence, had two chances uh, to score a goal all night. Uh, they came within about... 10 seconds of each other, and that was it. For the rest of the night, uh, the Sounders' uh, defense locked up and didn't allow the, uh, Dallas to really do anything um, other than shoot from, um, from far out. So that's, uh, that's a, a summary. Oh, uh, one other thing. Shane O'Neill uh, scored his first NF, uh, NFL, a major league soccer goal since 2014, and his first uh, goal of the season and his first playoff goal ever. So uh, good night from him. Um, Shane O'Neill again, is the, the third center back. He's the backup, um, but has gotten a lot of run this year because of injuries and illness and international duty by our other two players. That's awesome to hear, especially about Shane O'Neill too. That's a really cool story. Um, according to the stats, it says Dallas only attempted 10 shots, but Stephen Fry didn't have any saves. Yeah, they didn't, they didn't get the ball on target. So the, the one big chance they had, um, our, our left back, uh, his name is Nuhu Tolo, and he is, is, is just an incredible athlete, um, fast, athletic, uh, always doing something a little bit crazy. He's a fan favorite. He got caught ball watching, uh, which means he was watching the ball instead of guarding his man. I think uh, backside cut in, in, in the NBA. Um, and uh, let his... Uh, Dallas's forward who come in as a sub, Michael Barrios. Now, Michael Barrios, for the Sounders fans of long-suffering, has tormented Sounders fans for years. He's always that guy, that guy that always just gets loose and either puts in a good shot and scores goals against us or has the assist and um, just seems to run run rampant, run uh, you know ragged throughout the Seattle's defenses uh, over the years. And he put a beautiful shot in, it hit the inside of the post and bounced out. So that's a little bit of luck for our, for our boys in green. The ball ricochets out to um, Dallas's, uh, you know, number 10, their, their central attacking midfielder, a guy named Ricarde, who then hits just a blast of shot um, at the near post. Uh, it's about a, a foot or two away from the inside of the post. It's going in, except that um, our uh, center back star, uh, Yamar Gomez Andrade blocks the ball, clears it out of danger, and that's that's all she wrote. That was the last, uh, the last, uh, the last, and the best opportunity that Dallas had to score a goal in this game. Uh, the Sounders continued to pour on the pressure. They continued to hold the ball. They continued to tear apart that defense. Uh, just one of those nights where you just couldn't uh, couldn't quite connect. Uh, to make a baseball analogy, uh, you know, the Sounders left. You know, like you know. 15 men on base 
uh, to use a baseball analogy. They just couldn't quite get the the key hit at the the night, but they still won the pitchers do a one to nothing. Can I ask about but the block? Can I ask? This is not close. Can I ask about the blocked? You said that uh, uh, the Sounders were able to block uh, some of the kicks, and of the mm-hmm. ten shots that Dallas took, zero on target, by the way, but six right. of them. Six of them technically were on target, but there was a green jersey in the way. Yep. Not not the goalie, but a defender. Is that superior talent or just bad luck for the um, Dallas? I mean, for Dallas, it's a little bit of luck. I mean, anytime you block a shot as a as a field player, it's a it's a bit of luck. But I mean. One or two blocks a game is kind of average. Getting six tells me the Sounders were closing down the shooters as they were winding up. And, and I mean, the eye test when I was when I was watching the game, and I and I rewatched some key parts of it after the match as well. Seattle was did a really solid job defensively, other than that one real sequence uh, there. Uh, and the shots that Dallas got were not great shots. There, there wasn't, you know open you know an open thing where they've gotten the you know the, the you know the offensive players gotten open he's got a, a goal and really just Stefan Fry to you know and there's some like heroic save no this was more like you know the guy winds up for a shot and a sounder player gets over and gets the foot in so it's it, it was really more talent and skill and um and above that I would say determination like this team um especially since uh, you know, Brian Schmetzer has taken over the attitude and I, and I hate using attitude because I, I think it's so nebulous and whatnot, but, but really the attitude and the will that he has instilled in the team to never give up, to always come back, to always keep fighting, um, to work hard on every play, to work hard in practice has been uh, instilled as a, as a, as a culture throughout uh, throughout the roster um, and, and throughout the organization. I think you saw that because uh, it was kind of an ugly win. And um, yeah, that, I think that the, the, all the credit should go to the head coach as well as the players there. Uh, quick uh, question. It wasn't on our pre-show questions, but this is the baseball nerd in me. Um, I've read several stories over the years uh, using a baseball analogy. Uh, pitchers will take you know their team out if they make great plays and save the shutout. Or he'll take his catcher out for catching a you know a, a shutout or a no hitter. Yep. Does Mister Fry take his team out for not yeah. you know for having an easy night like that? I mean, yeah, they absolutely. Play- yeah, he he absolutely does. Like, um, typically, uh, goalkeepers get bonuses based off of uh, how many shutouts they get throughout the season oh. and in the playoffs. Okay. So that he he might have a a bonus. You know, if he's at the top three or the top five in the league for shutouts or goals against. Okay. And um, he's had an out, another outstanding season. Uh, not that he's had any, you know, plaudits from that, but he's he's been a, a very good goalkeeper. Um, and especially considering he's kind of a, a, kind of a rotating cast of characters in front of him in defense. Um, you know, we've played four different left backs. We've played, I think, three different right backs. We've had five different center backs suit up uh, during the uh, during the season um, and then the, the defensive midfield uh, where that's where uh, Jal Paulo uh, Gustav Svensson Christian Roldan that has also seen a, a, a rotating cast of characters throughout the season more than you you might expect so given that 
he's still, you know, one of the top three or four goalkeepers in, in the league and uh, has continued to organize that defense and keep things on. I, I, I do have to bring up a, a, a development um, that's not in the show notes, but it's just too good of a story to, to bring up. So we, we all love an underdog story, right, Brian, Abe? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Alex Roldan is your underdog story this year. So Alex Rodong is the younger brother of Christian Rodon, who has you know, established himself as a starter uh, going back to 2016, you know, contributing. Uh, he's captained the team a couple of times. Uh, he's probably going to be our captain if he sticks around um, and uh, you know, doesn't make a move to Europe. He'll probably be the captain after Nico, uh, Nicholas Ladero um, ends his time with, with the Sounders. Um, he, he's the, you know, kind of that important. Well, his little brother is not as good of a player as he is. Um, at least he wasn't until um, the last half of this year, perhaps. Seattle University, um, fact, right? Seattle, yeah, Seattle University. So they both went to Seattle schools, even though they were both from Southern California. They kind of adopted Seattle as a home. Christian um, went to UW? Yeah, Christian went to UW for a year. Um, Alex, I think, went to Seattle University for two and then got drafted by the by the Sounders. And... Alex was basically out of soccer. Uh, he was out of contract last at the end of last year and um, asked to come back on a trial with the Sounders into camp. Basically, it's kind of like uh, just like a, uh, you know, get a baseball analogy. You know, trial in spring training, right? Like, hey, I'm, I'm a major league baseball player, but I don't have a contract. Can I come, you know, try to make your team, right? And he did. And um, instead of playing in the midfield where he has uh, his previous seasons were three seasons, he transitioned to right back. And he is at this point um, with basically a season or let's call it what it is, maybe three quarters of a season of work at right back. He is now today a major league soccer average right back. In other words, he could go out and get a contract with just about any other, any team to be their starting right back um, in, in major league soccer. Of course, there's, there's some teams out there that have better right backs than him, but, but he is, he could be a starter on any team in major league soccer and, and not just be a starter, but like serviceable. He sends in a beautiful cross. He's probably the second best crosser on the team after Nicholas Ladero, which doesn't, you know, surprise anyone since he's, our best player. Um, but that, um, not just that, but he's a really tough defender. He's always but positioned. The, well, he makes great regular passes. The um, fact, the it, fact that he's such a great crosser though, he, he chose to play defender, putting him out of that, you know, attacking mode. Is that a matter of, he just stepped up when need was there, or is that a matter of that's his better position? I think that long-term, it's his better position. I think that he's just better suited there. He is not a good enough offensive player to dominate in uh, an attacking midfield or even a central midfield type position. He's just not physically good enough. He's not fast enough. He's not doesn't have quite enough endurance, and he's not uh, dangerous enough as an, as an offensive player. But at right back... Um, he, he was always kind of a defense-first type midfielder. So at right back, he's now a way above average offensive right back and uh, an above average defensive right back, okay? And 
and the thing is, you know, in the modern game, you want your outside backs to be involved in the offense, but you want them to pick their spots. And especially with the Sounders, typically the Sounders attack up the left side and are a little bit more conservative on the right side because the attack kind of leans left because Nicholas Ladero is left-footed. He plays in the center but drifts left because uh, uh, Jordan Morris likes to go left. Um, Jao Paulo likes, uh, is also in the central midfield, but he also drifts left. We've had Nuhu on the left as well as Brad Smith. And then also um, Jovan Jones when he plays left back is left. So like the whole offense for like the last four or five years has been left leaning. Whereas the right side is kind of like the counter, the counter punch, if you will. And with Leardown, who's a defense first right back over there, that's worked out really, really well. And so Alex, the last couple of games with Leardown being injured, has been able to step in and really do a great job uh, there. And I think that long term, um, he might end up replacing. He's good enough right now that if they didn't re-sign uh, Leardown, that I would feel comfortable with him being the starting right back for the entirety of 2021. I'd be comfortable with him starting the rest of the playoff games going into MLS Cup if the, if the Sounders make it that far. Interesting. Okay. Uh, you talked about Brian Schmitz earlier. I mean, what did Siggy Schmidt and Adrian Hanauer, their regime, why weren't they, I guess, why weren't they as, as successful as Schmetzer and Lagerway? I mean, what's Brian and Lagerway doing that Siggy and Adrian couldn't do to make this a successful franchise? I think that um, this really comes down to two things. Number one, Adrian Hanauer realized that he and his skills were better suited in the owner's suite than in the GM uh, office. And so what he did is he went out and he hired the best GM uh, that he could in, in Major League Soccer, which is Garth Lagerwey. And he realized that Garth is better at his job than Adrian was at his job. So I have to get tip my hat to Adrian for being – humble enough having the humility to say i've been really really successful but i'm going to take a step back and let someone who's actually a better technician at this particular job do their job and then i can focus on the other things that i should be doing as the basically as the you know the business leader as the as the owner so i think that that's the first thing is that um you know, he gave he, he did what a good leader does is he gave general instructions to Garth and then got out of his way and let him do his job. Okay. So that's the first thing. And the same, same thing, I think, has to be said about Brian Schmitzer. Brian obviously um, came in as the as the as the first assistant to Siggy for all those years. Um, he had been considered as the head coach uh, before they were able to get Siggy. And Siggy was just a legend at that point, having already won two MLS Cups fresh off of a supporter shield winning and uh, uh, MLS cup winning season with Columbus. It was just the obvious hire to make. Um, and so I think Brian did a really good job of learning in that time and, and developing his skills that really, really prepared him. But the other thing was that, you know, he was kind of pressed into service uh, when he had to fire Ziggy that disastrous first half of 2016. Two things I think really make Brian excellent at what he does. Uh, I think, and I think better than Siggy was. First off, Brian plays a really boring, the same formation every game, basically. Okay. He plays the four-two-three-one, so that means four defenders in the back, two central midfielders right in front of the defenders, kind of holding this the line, three attacking midfielders, so a left winger, a central attacking midfielder, and a right a right winger, and then you have a striker up top. He plays that every week. 
almost without fail. I think there's been like five or six games that he's played a different formation. So you, you have a sense of stability. You have a culture. You have a system. This is like the Seahawks um, at the beginning of the Pete Carroll era when they had all those great cornerbacks and safeties. They basically lined up in a 4-3, a four, uh, cover three under, and said, come on, beat us, right? I mean, that's what they did. You knew what you were going to get. Same thing with the Sounders, really. They're going to line up with that four two three one. You know what you're going to get. That's not confusing. So what that allows is, again, Brian to do his best thing. He is not a micromanager of his players, and he is not a micromanager of what they do necessarily tactically moment to moment like some managers are. Okay, He puts his players in a position to win. He has certain concepts he wants to do, but at the end of the day, he delegate, you know, he's not on the field, the players are, and he gives them the freedom to work within the system that he has, but it's a very flexible system. Here's the other thing. The Sounders are the best in Major League Soccer at scoring goals in the second half. They're plus 15 on the season in the second wow. half. Wow. Okay. This tells you that they aren't just, like, better. I think that they are a better team. I think that sometimes they just out-endurance people and wear teams down and just kill them in the second half because they have more legs. But also, a lot part of that is adjustments. So the four-two-three-one is a really flexible formation. You can do a lot of things with it without unbalancing it. And so it allows Schmetzer to make some adjustments at halftime. And you often see the Sounders come out in the first 15 minutes of the second half and score a goal right away. And um, that's actually what happened uh, against Dallas is they um, – in the first five minutes of the second half, they put Dallas deep in their own end and basically held the ball for about 80% of that time. Um, basically, Dallas had the, you know, the ball for you know, a few seconds, you know, two or three passes, and then cleared it or lost the ball, and the Sounders were back on the attack, pushing deep into the, Dallas's final third, um, and, and Dallas had to, you know, to compress their, their defensive lines quite a bit. Um, and then they, you know, they'd scored off of, a, of a, off of a set piece, you know, off a corner kick, where they, they drew things up. And again, that's another thing that's, that, that they do is they draw up plays all the time. They work on these plays over and over and over in practice. And so, um, I mean, he is a really good coach. It just doesn't get credit in the national media is really what it boils down to. Hey, Rich, uh, Minnesota made KC, sporting KC, sorry, look like absolute mm-hmm. fools. They won three to nothing. Yes. And yep. um, Molino got got two goals and Osvaldo Alonso, former uh, Seattle Sounder and probably future, you know, uh, legendary (laughs) Seattle Sounder kind of took it to them. Are you worried about them? Were you more worried about Casey? What, what, what did you, what did you glean from that game earlier today? Um, What I gleaned was that, uh, Minnesota did the classic trap. They, they caught a team that's more talented than them, um, basically napping. But here's the thing. Kansas City has been a paper tiger all year. They have an incredible offense, which is a total switch for uh, Peter Vermees, who's the head coach of Kansas City for going on, I think, 15 years now. Um, he, he's really built up his reputation and built Kansas City into what they have become as one of the top teams in Major League Soccer year in and year out by building up their defense. Their defense was incredible at its, at its height. Their defense uh, was one of the first ones to do a high press. So basically think man-to-man defense all over the field, 
Um, it wasn't quite that crazy, not, not quite what San Jose is doing, but um, uh, more zonal principles. They don't, they don't just follow one man across the field. But, but regardless, they put the, the offense under pressure and make mistakes and then turn the ball over and you know, jam the ball down your throat is basically the whole idea. Think fast break soccer. Um, they've totally transitioned in the last three years into a much more offensive, free-flowing, we're going to outskirt instead of winning, you know, one to nothing, we're going to beat you four to three kind of a game, um, which leads to more exciting games, but they, they just don't have any talent on the defensive side of the ball other than the goalkeeper, uh, Tim Melia. And they're very susceptible in the counterattack. And Minnesota is not a great possession team. They don't, they can't hold onto the ball. They don't have the talent for that. Uh, but they are, is very, very athletic and very dynamic on a counterattack when they're able to bum rush you with three or four guys against your retreating defense. And that's, that's basically kind of what they did. It was a smash and grab, uh, you know, soccer from, from Minnesota. Um, so am I worried about Minnesota? Sure. I mean, you, you have to be kind of crazy not to be worried about them. They're kind of built perfectly to try to take advantage of the Sounders weaknesses. Um, with that being sound, said, this is at home. Uh, the Sounders have more talent top to bottom. They have better players. Uh, there is – I'm just taking a look at the box score. There is not a single player on Minnesota that I would take man for man, position for position, over the Sounders starter at that position. What about all this? the finals? When is the final it's Monday, game? Monday night, uh, and I believe it's going to be here. I'm just pulling this up. I think it's going to be on uh, Fox uh, uh, Sports. It might even be on Big Fox. Let me just double check here. So while you're looking that up, uh, what I was going to say is, yeah. what I was going to say is, they're playing on a short week, and then yep. the championship is on Saturday, so it's another short week. Any concerns mm-hmm. there? No, the Sounders actually have a huge advantage here. Um, throughout the course of the season, the Sounders have had the deepest bench in Major League Soccer. So, you know, we just talked about them winning um, versus, uh, you know, Dallas. Dallas had basically their first choice lineup on the field. Um, the Sounders did not. Uh, the Sounders lineup had, was missing three starters. We were missing Gustav Svensson. Um, Kelvin Leardam and um, crud. Oh, oh yeah, uh, uh, Ariaga, Ariaga at, at at center back. And then you could argue. I mean, if you go back to major uh, to you know last year, you know Brad Smith was a starter in uh, MLS Cup, and Jovan Jones played at left back to finish out MLS Cup. So I mean, we and Roman Torres missing yeah. a bunch. Yeah, we're, we're, we're missing three starters, and Dallas was not, and we beat them. And the previous game, uh, we were missing uh, the same three starters. So, I mean, this has been a team that goes 19 or 20 guys deep in the roster, and it really has been, um, you know, as long as Nicholas Ladero is not missing, we've been a very, very good team that is very, very hard to beat and pretty much been able to fill in every slot, even if there's guys, uh, you know, on international duty or, or uh, out for injuries or, you know, COVID protocol. So not worried about the, the depth at all or the short rest. It's enough rest. Are we the legacy of the MLS? I guess what I'm trying to say is they made the Western Conference for the four, four times in the last five years. I mean, 
every year when the season starts, do people say, well, oh, watch out for the Sounders? I mean, do we have a – are we going to be winning for the next 10 years? Or do you see us, you know, rebuilding in the future? I mean – I I don't see us rebuilding in the future. This is this is kind mm-hmm. of a, a college football analogy. We're, we just reload is really what it's, it's been since – since Garth Lagerway took over, um, he has deployed every resource that's available through my, Major League Soccer's crazy roster construction rules with all their different, you know, the, the salary cap and then the, the allocation money that lets you break the salary cap and then the, the special uh, targeted allocation money that lets you sign foreign players and break the salary cap and, you know, signing homegrown players, which let their their salaries don't count against the salary. And he uses all of these things to draft whatever it is to get talent into the Sounders. And the most exciting thing is actually he has built, he and his team have built one of the top three or four best academy programs um, leading into, you know, the Tacoma uh, Defiance, you know, program leading up to the first team. And we're going to start seeing those players really coming into their own, I think, in the next two years or so. Um, Ruled, I mean, the the Roldans. players are already on the roster. They just haven't been making the starting lineup yet. The Roldans came from that, right? Um, Roldans were a little bit before this. Oh, okay. Uh, really got rolling. Um, but uh, I thought they played at S- I thought they played at S2. Huh? Uh, Alex did. Alex played at Alex S2. Did. Okay. Christian made, made the first team his first season. Um, and was always basically always on the match day roster. He probably played like 10 or 15 games, uh, in 2015. Um, Alex played a lot on the, on the S2 and now, the, you know, Tacoma, uh, just to kind of keep fresh, but uh, we've got a young kid named, uh, Danny Leva. Uh, he's 17 years old. He's already played, uh, over uh, 2,000 professional minutes in his career. Uh, he's already made, I think, about half a dozen appearances for the Sounders uh, first team. And he's going to be 18 next year. The reason he didn't play more this year is he, he actually like broke his ankle, I want to say. And then last uh, month or so, he's had, he's had a hamstring thing. So uh, he's just had an injury fill the year. But like, there are really talented players. These are players that make you know, like the top 200, you know, young American, you know, up and coming Americans kind of, uh, kind of lists, you know, or, you know, who's got the, you know, the, the next, you know, the, these guys are going to go to the, uh, you know, the, the under, under 17 world cup. The Sounders are, are chock full of these young uh, youth team players. So uh, the future is bright uh, in the, in the one area that the Sounders can really, really, really control in a lot of degrees, which is the, the, the youth development. Um, you know, if you were to rank uh, soccer areas of, of the of, of the country with soccer talent, you know, Southern California, the Dallas, uh, Houston, kind of uh, Southern Texas area, uh, you know, Florida, just because it's always warm there, uh, New York, St. Louis, and Seattle are really the, the kind of the cornerstones of where the soccer talent is and where soccer is very popular and where top players are being developed and sour sounders have you know started to take that local talent and really mold it and shape it and coach them up and i think that the future is bright you're going to see more sounders teams with a lot of local players on them as well as bringing in uh, world-class uh, international stars to kind of 
uh, top off the roster. So could we be great for 10 years? I certainly hope so. Um, as long as they retain this management team, I think that there's every hope that they could. Uh, that they could. Uh, I got I got one last question on my end. Besides, it sounds like to me we are going to be a badass franchise for the next 10 plus years, but with Russell Wilson and Ken Griffey Jr. joining ownership too, I mean, does that make things exciting? I mean, to, it's super exciting. I mean, like what, what was the thing that was the nightmare of all Seattle sports fans, professional sports fans from the time we got our first professional team in uh, the Sonics and then the Pilots? What was the thing that's always loomed over our heads? Uh, Bill, Cottle, Bill Cottle's bad hair. No. <laughs> no. That, okay. That, uh, someone's going to steal our team. Oh, exactly. yes. Okay. Okay. Sorry. I thought it was Mariners related, but sorry. No. Well, it is kind of Mariners related. I mean, how many times were the Mariners like there was rumors that they, that they were going to take Tampa. them to Tampa? They were going to take yeah. them to, to Phoenix. They were going to take them to, you know, wherever. Right. Like there was that yeah. was always a thing. Right. And you're going to move down to Portland or whatever. Right. It happened with the Seahawks, right? Remember, like the bearings, they they had actually the trucks were the trucks bus. were uh, yeah about to leave. Yeah, yeah, it happened. It happened with the Sonics, right? Mm-hmm. This team is not going anywhere, right? This yep. it's just not going to happen. Um, I mean the lo- the local the local ownership structure, the the dedication and the commitment to the local area is deep. Um, the, the, the Sounders are gearing up to become the number two sports franchise in the Pacific Northwest after the Seahawks. I mean, that is, that is the target. That is the trajectory that they are on. Yeah, that's um, impressive. I mean, and, and the, I think the ownership that they've brought in belies that fact. I mean, they, you know, I talked about how Adrian Hanover um, has been humble enough to bring in experts when he's not good enough, right? When he realizes that he could do something else different or better or yeah. can find someone to do the job better. One of the new owners, I can't remember his name, um, is a is a Microsoft executive for a long time, venture capital guy. Satya. And he realized, Satya, Satya is his name. Yeah, there we go. The, Adrian realized that he's probably a better guy to run the business operation side of things. And so he gave that up. He delegated that out, and now he's you know above Garth Lagerwey, who runs soccer, and this this other gentleman um, who runs the business side of things. That's just a smart owner. That's like good leadership as well as good management. So, um, and the other thing is that they don't make the most money. That's still like the Los Angeles uh, Galaxy and uh, Atlanta, just because they can bring seventy thousand fans in, and we don't do that as much as they did. Um, so now Atlanta sucks, so maybe that's just a little bit of karma and makes you smile. Um, but like they have, I mean, Arthur Blank is the owner of the Atlantic Falcon, uh, Falcons. I mean, he's one of the founders of Home Depot. He's got more money than God, so they're always going to be able to outspend anyone. Sounders are not doing that, but they certainly have a very wealthy ownership group, of course. But they're not billionaires; they're all millionaires, right? Mm-hmm. And so. They're sustainable. That's the other thing that, that Hanover wants to do is he's like, look, we're going to spend money, but we're going to be sustainable. We're not going to over get out over our skis. We're going to try to be smarter and, and whatnot. So you're not looking at a New York Yankees of the 80s situation where we just outspend everyone and try to solve every problem we have with our team with money. So I think it portends well. 
but yes, uh, Sounders are always in contention every single year. It's it's just it's just boring. Oh, one other thing, um, it's actually not just four and five years; it's actually five and seven years that the Sounders have made uh, the the conference finals. Okay. Okay. They had a they had a year a couple of years before in 2014 uh, when they had that great Supporters Shield winning team with with uh, Obafemi Martins and uh, Clint Dempsey uh, that, that, that led that team. That team uh, lost uh, in a uh, basically a tie to, to Los Angeles and they lost the tiebreaker. And so um, anyway, so yeah, things are looking up. The Sounders game is on Monday night. Um, uh, there is Monday night football, but it's like the, uh, the Seahawks aren't playing, so who cares? Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, and I believe that that game is actually a pretty early game. Uh, Seattle, Minnesota, I believe it is at 6.30, 6.30 Pacific on Fox Sports 1. Perfect. Before I, I go to bed by 9, so we're good there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm out of questions. You got anything else, Abe? In regards? No, no. Um, just want to thank everybody out there for listening in on today's episode. I think we should do some shout outs. Uh, I'll go ahead and get this started off. I'm going to say shout out to Pat Patterson, WWE slash WWF wrestler and backstage manager. He's the person who invented the Royal Rumble. Just passed away the other day. Um, how about you, uh, Rich? Any shout outs? Yes, I've got a shout-out to um, Osvaldo Alonso's yellow card that he's going to get in the first half when he makes a two-adventuresome uh, tackle on some poor Sounders player uh, Monday night. <laughs> <laughs> and Matt Page, right any shout-outs for you? Uh, yeah, I wanted to give a shout-out. Congratulations to Josh Gordon, which we forgot to cover him earlier, that he got... He got uh, uh, he's reinstated by the NFL, and it looks like he's going to join the Seahawks for the last two games of the season. About time. Like <laughs> three years too late. Well, they they, they, they didn't they, – for the longest time, they, the league even refused to acknowledge it. Like, they wouldn't even tell the Seahawks, oh, we're thinking about it, or we'll, we'll, we'll get back to you on X date with a ruling. They just didn't even respond. And that's another example of Goodell's uh, <laughs> terrible management. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Soul, soul man, shout outs. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up, Matt. I, I, we didn't forget it. It was on my list, but with Matt, I, I mean, with uh, Mr. English and Abraham arguing the whole time, there was enough time for that question. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, okay. And um, ending their friendship. Don't forget that part. Ending their friendship. But quick, two shout outs. Uh, my, my boys from Wazoo are hopefully finally playing a football game this Sunday night. Uh, they've missed the last two weeks because of COVID, and they play at USC. After the Seahawks game, 4.30, FS1, good luck to them. And then shout-out to John Rainwaters. He put together a video, and I know it was a lot of work, and sounds like he's, we may have it up this weekend for about our, our COVID project where we you know we, we interviewed all the teams that we cover and got their feedback. So excited, looking forward to that, and thanks to John for doing that. Thank you to the SoulCal Seahawk, Rob English. Thank you to the Ram, Richard A. Michelson. Even thank you to Matthew Page. And, of course, our host, Brian Solman Solak. My name is Abraham Deweese. Thank you for joining us. Check out all our great articles at seattlesportsunion.com. As well, like us on Facebook and check us out on Twitter at Seattle Sports U. See you guys next week. Go Hawks. Go Sounders.